The emphasis of Romans chapter 8 is that we can have complete confidence in our relationship to God. It started with Romans 8.28, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. We then saw the way in which that worked, and that is that those that to God foreknew, he also did predetermine uh, to uh, justify and uh, to glorify. Uh, today, as we look at Romans chapter 8, we see this great declaration that God is on our side, Romans 8.31. What should we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? There are a series of questions that are raised in Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 39, in order to make us understand the supreme confidence that we can have in our relationship to God. The primary question is, if God is on our side, then who is able to defeat us? Or what is able to defeat us? The answer is that nothing and no one can defeat those whose God is on their side. Notice, since God is on our side, nothing can defeat us, no matter how tough the circumstances may be. That's 35 through 37. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Since God is on our side, no one can defeat us no matter how strong they may be. That's verses 38 to 39. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So with God on our side, nothing can be victorious against us. But now we have to ask the question, but what does that mean that God is on our side? For it says in verse 31, if God be for us, who can be against us? So in what sense is God for us? That's what we want to address this morning. Our key verse is verse 32. We're going to be looking at this in detail. Uh, our Emphasis and uh, our consideration is going to be uh, on verse 32. We will look at the succeeding verses in weeks to come. But today we're going to consider what is really one of the most blessed and glorious considerations of all. And that is that Christ died for us. As we unpack verse 32 this morning, I hope that we're going to understand that simple phrase that Christ died for us in a life-transforming way, that it would really be powerful, that we would understand the love of God, uh, the awesome, amazing thought that God gave his son for us in a new and refreshing and comforting and confident way in our relationship to God. The theme this morning is that since 
God gave his son for us, we can have complete confidence that he will give us everything we need for salvation. Let me say that again. Since God gave his son for us, we can have complete confidence that we will have everything that we need in order to be saved. Let's look at verse 32. We start with this thought. We can have supreme confidence that we'll be saved because God did not even spare his son in saving us. We can have complete confidence that we'll be saved because God did not even spare his son in saving us. Look at verse 32. He who did not spare his own son. We're looking at this word spare. He who did not spare his own son. There are two connotations that are connected with the aspect that God did not spare his son. The first connotation is the idea that God did not spare his son in the sense that he did not keep him from experiencing judgment. He did not keep his son from experiencing judgment. This is in keeping with the way in which God did not spare others from experiencing judgment. For example, God did not spare angels from experiencing judgment in 2 Peter 2, 4. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. God, again, did not spare the people in the time of Noah and the flood. For it says in 2 Peter 2, 5, he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness. But now we find that God did not even spare his son. Might not surprise us that he would not spare the angels from judgment, or that he would not spare the people in the days of Noah from judgment. But here we find that God did not even spare his son, his own son, his True son. God inflicted his son with no abatement, no letting up. God did not cut him a break. God did not let him off easy. God was relentless in pouring out the full judgment of God's wrath. Christ bore the full extent of God's wrath on the cross every aspect of punishment that was deserved for us. Isaiah 53, 15 says, but he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. God exacted the full payment for our sin. Thus, we have the confidence that our sins are totally atoned for. The question later Who will bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. The answer is no one. There is no suffering yet to suffer. No shame yet to endure. No judgment that has not been fully met. We have full and complete acceptance with God because God did not spare his son. Because he on himself the full aspect of God's wrath. Secondly, and it's actually the primary meaning in this particular passage, is the idea that God did not spare his son in the connotation 
that God did not withhold his son in saving us. For if you notice in this verse, it says that that God gave him up. God gave him up. God did not keep anything back in saving us. God spared no expense. God held nothing in reserve. God did not view anything too precious in order to bring about our salvation. God did not even spare his son in saving us. It is this connotation in our verse that we are to see. God gave up his son, it says in verse 32. He did not spare his own son, but gave him up. Gave him up is literally handed over. I really appreciate the way in which the New American Standard translates this verse, for it uses the words, he did not spare his own son, but delivered him up. That's a really good literal translation. Delivered him up, handed Jesus over. The idea is to those that would crucify him, to those that would nail him to the cross. God actively handed his son over to be crucified. Listen to the words of Peter on the day of Pentecost as he preaches. He says this, Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. This man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to the cross. God gave him over. God delivered him up according to God's foreknown, predetermined plan, which we have been discussing earlier in these verses in Romans chapter 8. This predetermined plan, God delivered his son over. He did not withhold him from that great sacrifice he gave him. Number two, we can have complete confidence that we will be saved because the Father gave his Son up for us all. Look at verse 32. He who did not spare his Son, but gave him up for us all. That word for, that little preposition, is huge. For the word for there means in our place. Instead of us. When God gave him up, he was protecting us, he was shielding us, and he was giving over his son in our place. Jesus took upon himself our punishment. Here is where we understand that great doctrine of the substitutionary atonement. I'm sure you've heard that term. The substitutionary atonement, which simply means that Jesus was our substitute. Jesus died in our place. He, the Father, gave his Son up for us 
all. Now the question is, in verse 32, who are the us all? What does that mean when it says that God gave his son up for us all? There are two different answers that are given to that question. One answer is that includes every single human being. The second answer is it's speaking of those who will be saved. So you got two choices, every single human being or those who will be saved. Christ was given for those whom God the Father foreknew, predetermined, called, justified, and glorified. How do we know that? How do we know that? How do we know what this word means? Well, lately I've been asking you to circle things and underline things and make notes in your Bible. I'm going to ask you to do that once again. And let me just say this to you. Uh, I would really encourage you to do just that. Make notes in your Bible, and then I encourage you to have another Bible that you don't make any notes in. And that you read your Bible through in a Bible that you don't make any notes in so that you see new things. Then it's good to have a Bible that you study where there's some notes in it that you don't lose sight of important things. So i just like you to take a pen, pencil, and just circle every time you read the word us in this passage. I'm going to start at verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for, there it is, us, circle it. Who can be against us? Circle it. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, circle it, all. How will he not with him graciously give us, circle it, all things? Who shall I anything against the charge of God's elect. It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Circle us. Who shall, who shall separate us, circle it, from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. There it is, circle it. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us, there it is, circulate, from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Now I'd like to go back and look at those verses. My point to you is that the verse, the us of verse 32, is the us of verse 31, is the us of verse 34, and on and on through the text. So let's see what the Bible says about us in these verses. First, number one, the us in verse 31 are the ones who are on God's side. Notice verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who then can be against us? So it's talking about those whom God is 
on their side, whom God is defending, whose God is watching over, who God is protecting. How is God on our side? Verse 32. He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. The all is referring to both Jew and Gentile. That uh, doesn't matter. He gave him up for us, his people. Notice the us is the same us for whom Christ in heaven is interceding. Verse 34. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. He's praying for us in heaven. Who is he praying for in heaven? He's praying for the believers. Jesus said clearly in John chapter 17, I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. Further, the us of verse 32 are those who overwhelmingly conquer and are giving their lives for Christ's sake. Verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. So the ones that are conquering are the ones whom God loves. And the reason that we are conquering is because God has loved us. The us is the us of verse The us of verse 32 are the ones whom nothing can separate from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Look at verse 38. For I am sure, I'm confident, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. These are people that will never, ever be separated from God's love. This is talking about the people of God. This is talking about us. This is talking about God's children. And when you understand that, You understand what it means that Christ died for us. Not a faceless humanity. Christ died for us. And if you know Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior, Christ died for you. Let's go back to verse 32. For this is essential. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? 
Now, there can be absolutely no question. There's no question about anything else. But there can be no question about this. And that is that the us in 32A is the us in 32B. And please take note what it says. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Now the question, how will he not with him graciously give us all things? The point is, it is illogical to think that God would give his most precious possession, if you will, his son, and then withhold something of lesser value from us that we need in order to be saved. It would make no sense. Sometimes when you give a gift, you have to be careful. At Christmas, you know, especially if you have children and you're buying any kind of electronic game or toy, you always have to be looking for those dreaded words that are on the side of the box and often half hidden or with an asterisk, but you better look very carefully for that simple little phrase that says, battery's not included. Because it renders the gift meaningless. You can't use it. It's not beneficial. It's not a lot of fun on Christmas Day to open up a toy that just sits there. You want to be sure that the batteries are included. Again, simple little words, but they carry such weight. Look at verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how shall he not also, simple little phrase, with him. With him. There is a connection. There is a continuation. That is, along with giving his son, he gives all things. You can't separate the all things from the giving of his son. He didn't give us his son without the batteries included. When he gave us his son, he gave us everything we need for salvation. The faith, the perseverance, the kid and caboodle. Everything that you can associate with salvation accompanies the gift of his son. That's what it says. How with him, he graciously gave us all things. This is another reason why the us cannot refer to every human being. The giving of his son necessarily includes the giving of all things, or salvation. Rob Bell, who was an evangelical, a graduate from Wheaton, just to say, he certainly had sound theological training and background. Rob Bell wrote a book in 2011 entitled Love Wins. Love Wins. The presupposition of the book is that every single human being will be saved. No one will be lost. No one will be going to hell. And 
The rationale of the book is that love has to win. If God loves everyone, and if God gave his son for everyone, then everyone is saved. And Rob Bell is right. But that's not what the scripture teaches. He gave his son for us. He gave his son for his people. And we can be awfully thankful that we belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. Here is the purposeful nature of God giving his son. Here is the plan, okay? And I know that you often hear other things, so please listen to me very carefully, for I'm choosing my words carefully. God the Father did not give his son merely to make it possible for people to be saved. Let me say that again. God the Father did not give his son to merely make it possible for people to be saved. Number two, God the Father did not give his son merely to make a way for people to be saved. Let me say it again. God the Father did not give his son merely to make a way for people to be saved. God gave his son to save people. And there's a world of difference. God gave his son to save people. Turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 17. This is the high priestly prayer of Jesus. This is the night before he's crucified. After celebrating the Lord's Supper with his disciples, he is praying to the Father. Listen to these words, starting with verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom thou hast given him. That was the job that the Father gave to the Son, to give eternal life to all that you have given him. Not to make it possible, but to actually give them eternal life. Now, Listen to some other verses. I'm not, we're not going to take the time to turn to all these or we're going to run out of time. Listen, but listen carefully. John 6, 37. Jesus said, all that the Father gives me will come to me. You're in John chapter 17, verse 2. To give eternal life to all that you have given him. John 6, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up at the last day. This is the will of the one who sent me, 
that I don't lose one that you have given me. And I will raise him up at the last day. That's our confidence. That's our hope. That's our security. I won't lose one of those that you have given to me. Jesus said, I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus died for us. Now back to Romans 8.32. He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How shall he not with him graciously give us all things? Now we look at this word graciously. God's grace does not end with the giving of his son. Our relationship to God does not change to one of merit after God gave his son. No, the salvation that we enjoy is by grace through faith from beginning to end. Nor does the grace of God stop with the giving of his son as a sacrifice. The grace of God that gave his son is the same grace that accomplishes all things. Let me say that again. The same grace that gave his son is the grace that accomplishes all things. Now, we need to learn to, to read with some discipline. I'd like you to go back with me to Romans chapter 5. For this is building. We're building a case. I keep talking about how Romans is integrated. Let's go back to, to Romans chapter 5. In verse 1, and notice how words are being used. Starting at verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith. Who are the we? We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So we're talking about believers here. The problem is, in reading the Bible, when people see the word we in us, they make that anybody who's reading the Bible or they make that anybody in the world. The we are those who are justified by faith. It's clear in the text. It's those who have peace with God. Now notice what it says, starting with verse two. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith in this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of glory of God. Not only, not only that, but we Rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to die. But God gave his love for, but God shows his love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 9, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more we shall be saved by him through the wrath of God. For if while we were sin enemies, we were reconciled 
to God by his death, much more now that we are reconciled shall be saved by his life. Those who have the benefits of his death have the benefits of his life. You can't have the benefits of his death without the benefits of the life. You can't have Christ bearing your sins and you still have sin. Christ died for us. And that's why we can have complete confidence that his love for us will never end. Because he made the great commitment to us before the foundation of the world to give his son for us. Even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So we know that nothing will separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. If you understand that Christ died for you, you can't be separated from God. If he gave his son for you, what in the world is he going to hold back? Why is he still going to find fault? Who shall charge anything to God's elect? It makes no sense. It's absolutely crucial that we understand that Christ died for us. The one who died for us now lives for us. That's what it says in Romans 5. And now come back to our text in Romans chapter 8. Look at verse 34. Who is to condemn? Romans 8, 34. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that! He was raised. Who is at the right hand of God who indeed is interceding for us. The one who died for us, rose for us, and is in the presence of God interceding for us. There is no more incredible thought in the world than to think that Christ died for me. It was truly a transforming spiritual experience for me. Having grown up in a Christian home, having accepted Christ as my Savior at the age of five, being called to the pastorate at the age of 10, and reading my Bible, and knowing that Jesus died for sinners, when I came to finally understand that he didn't die for a faceless humanity, but he actually died for me. That my name was written down before the foundation of the earth. That Jesus actually died in my 
place. The next time you take communion and you're handed that piece of wafer, that cracker, remember the words of Jesus. This is my body which is for you. This is for you. This is for you. And when you take that wafer, you are saying, this is the body for me. And we tell people, not because it's our rule, but because the word of God says, but don't take the emblem unworthily without faith, for you bring judgment to yourself, not discerning the Lord's body. Understand that when Jesus died, he died for you. He didn't just die so that we might be saved. He didn't just die to make a way for us to be saved. Jesus died to save us. Hence, we are saved. And nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. God commended his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When you know that, you know that he will graciously give you all things with him. The batteries will be included. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you for the incredible gift that you have given for us. That you sent your son into this world to save a people. And those that you have given to him, he has given eternal life. And he will not lose one. And as we read through this great portion of the book of Romans, that concludes with this incredible thought that nothing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. May we understand how precious that little pronoun us is. Thank you, Lord, for dying for me. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. Thank you, Lord, for bearing my sin. Thank you for dying in my place and the place of all my brothers and sisters in Christ, everyone who believes in you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And may we sing with gusto what we were going to sing first. And can it be that I should gain?